0: Hi, Unicorns! I'm big mountain skier and adventurer, Lindsay Dyer, and this is another episode of Showing Up. Conversations with real life people in the outdoors, making a life to inspire you to embrace your weird, do the thing even if you suck at it, and fully show up for this one wild and precious life.
1: While all these thoughts are going through my mind of how far away the ground is, how insane the snow looks, focusing on what I'm doing, maintaining my calm senses and all that, a huge alarm went off in me was like, you're flipping too fast. Like, you're flipping too fast and you're going to over-rotate and you're going to kill yourself right now. Like, major alarm went off. And so I actually started hyperventilating in the air because I thought I was going to die because I set my front flip too fast.
0: That's pro skier Julian Carr. Last time, I spoke to him about his early life, founding his clothing company, and his approach to big cliffs in general. This time, we get into the details of his record-breaking 210-foot ski jump off a cliff in Engelberg, Austria. He talks about the cliff itself, falling in love with it, and what's going on in his head as he's leaving the ground, realizing the cliff is even taller than he had realized. From there, we'll talk about what's next. Specifically what it's like continuing a career after such a massive achievement, and how he sees the evolution of the sport. Even though a lot of people know him for his Engelberg ski jump, there's so much more to Julian than that one moment. Here is the second part of my talk with Julian Carr, recorded in Japan. Here we go. So can you just take us through, so for example in Engelberg, you know, you clearly, you'd spent a couple weeks... Really getting to know the area, really getting to know the landing, probing the landing, uh, and of course when it it first showed up, it, it spoke to you. But I mean, from the moment you dropped in, it explained that not just the situation but the experience.
1: Yeah, it was man. So it was my first time in Europe, and we'd spent three weeks in Austria, snowy, and we're having a ton of fun.
0: And is this how far out since you'd broken your leg? Or your uh, finger?
1: probably like four years okay. or so, and. Then we go from Austria to Engelberg and we get there and It's already so good where we find like some really cool 30-footers day one and the next day We find this really cool 80 footer snow is so good and that day two I found this insanely beautiful cliff and I just couldn't take my eyes off of it and it was just right there like facing everybody you know and there's no way you could not see it cuz on one chairlift in particular you're staring out at it, the entire chairlift ride <laughs> and I was like oh my gosh so I ski to the landing I probe it and it's just it's not it's not good enough for for that cliff and I'm just like and what makes oh, it, it not so good close. enough
0: the angle isn't or there's not enough snow
2: or what There
1: wasn't enough new snow and the layering had been too set up Mm -hmm. it was it was just too thick the snow was too thick the Mm -hmm. consistency was too thick i needed to have quite a bit on top and that's the thing is like with doing big cliffs it's not just like oh you need three feet of fresh snow you need three feet of fresh snow on top of like a hundred inches of Storms that have come in the last week, on top of like a hundred, two hundred inch base. Yeah, how how so,
0: deep do you end up getting in these landings? Well, it
1: depends, cause like uh, I oftentimes with the angle, of the snow, and the front flip technique, you hit and you kind of become like a little groundhog into your landing, and then you actually resurface and you're skiing away in like one fluid motion. Wow. Um, so the angle of the slope and your speed both come together. And you don't actually just travel down into the snow, you know? Right,
2: And
0: that's the magic of it.
1: That's an incredible feeling. Like, obviously for me, the the safety of it is the priority. So if I can accomplish a cliff and I'm safe, and if a ski pops off, like, you know, obviously skiing away is a bonus. Of course. Um, but it's when it does happen, it's an amazing feeling. Yeah. Okay. But, so let's
0: just quickly talk about the mechanics. So... You always go for the front flip because if you to straight straighter that, uh as, as you'll know if you ever tried <laughs> yeah. it, the air catches your skis and pushes you back and then you're out of control. So d- a speed is obviously a thing too, right? Like, yeah,
1: you definitely want to have speed because I did a straighter off 175 footer that one year off Wolverine. I yeah, did the first time small I hit for you. it, I did a 175 foot <gasps> cliff air,
2: uh-huh. and
1: I had... Perfect center of gravity, yep. the entire way down until about the last 30 feet. and the wind caught my skis yeah. and it tipped me backwards more than I wanted.
0: That's what happened to me on the 70-footer.
1: So as you know, when that happens, all your control's taken away. Yeah. And it's a really unsettling feeling. Yeah. And uh, luckily, I landed in a way that was completely fine. Because I had so much control most of the way down. But like I said, it caught at the last second, took away all my control, still landed fine. And I had uh, someone right there to unbury me if I would have gotten too plugged. And skied away instantly. Like, whew, whoa, that was interesting. You and know? if
0: you ever saw Jamie Pierre's air, that's what you'll see too. It's like he mm-hmm. as, as he hits terminal velocity, the wind catches his skis and you can't help but, but start to fall backwards and then plug.
1: And when you fall backwards, your momentum of your body is going against the slope of the mountain. So the front flip, Mm -hmm. you're coming around on your rotation and landing in a way that the energy is actually cooperating with the mountain. Instead of a straighter, when you're going back, it's actually going against the slope of the mountain. So if you have speed, you do the front flip, you know, A, the front flip, your skis are slicing through the air with your body. So you're not leaving anything open to get grabbed by the wind. Essentially, when I do those big cliffs, even though it only, it takes a split second, I actually hit shoulder blades, back, lower back, hamstrings, skis, all in just like this strange motion, but it, it's instantaneous, right?
0: Since jumping off of, of roofs when you're a little yes, kid. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
1: and so you have control the whole way down. It's definitely... For me, like the only way I ever want to do a cliff over like eighty feet these days.
2: Right,
0: but like I've thought about this so many times, like with the Engelbert Air, yeah. for example, you're on top, and you're the only thing you can see below you is a freaking valley below, abyss, full abyss. And I've been in that situation, <laughs> yeah. and I went into full. It's the only experience where I've I've went into full where they call it gripped, right? Sure. Like you, I couldn't move, and I yeah. felt that. <laughs> Uh, your body takes over and it's like, uh -uh. uh-uh. So like how, when you, you can't see, I I don't (laughs) understand.
1: Well, like, so for that Engelberg one, part of when I was studying the landing zone, I will have already studied the landing or the cliff so much that when I get down into the landing, I'll be looking up at the cliff and figuring out uh, the trajectories and the angles, but then I'll turn around and face the horizon,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I'll study horizon points.
0: Because mm-hmm, that's all you'll be able to see up there, and you know that.
1: Exactly. So I'll study these horizon points. I'll keep turning around and looking at the cliff, probing, figuring out exactly where this like chunk of space is that is ideal to land in. And while I'm doing all that, I'll already be kind of breathing through it and looking at horizon points and trying to you know, connect my mind up to the takeoff and feel what it would feel like to be up there right now and be looking at the horizon point. Like I'm already starting to live the experience Mm -hmm. of doing it. Even when I'm probing into a bad landing, not knowing if I'll ever be able to do it, I'm already having to apply all this, you know, mountain sensitivity, all this like intent. So it's like draining but I love it. Yeah, yeah. But to pull this stuff off, that's what you have to be yeah. doing naturally. You've
0: already done it a thousand yeah. times You can't mind.
1: just but take us roll the up feeling. to a cliff and just go for it. At least that's not what I do. But so after being in eagleberg for almost three weeks, this one cliff I keep looking at every day for at least an hour. I go and like just hang out with it. Essentially, I like developed a relationship with it, not ever knowing if I'd ever be able to hit it. And I've done this with countless other cliffs, that the storm never came, I never got to hit it. you know. But I found all these beautiful cliffs. This one in particular, it's like three days before the end of the trip. This huge storm comes in, and it blizzards just full crazy snowstorm for two days. The entire upper mountain is closed. This whole lift, everything's closed for two days. And I'm like, oh my gosh is it gonna like clear for the last day sure enough <laughs> we're about to go to bed the night before our last day our full day in town and the stars are out and the next morning is gonna be insane and instantly i was like i'm gonna go to that cliff like it's going to be good and so the next morning bluebird we get early ups and it's funny because even though we had early ups uh, there was like ski school people and just like employees going up and somehow me and like my little crew I ended up in my own gondola
2: mm-hmm.
1: and as I'm going just up alone. the gondola so that wasn't
0: intentional no it, just it wasn't it
1: just happened and it was fine on the interior of this particular gondola there was this old faded sticker of an eagle mm-hmm. and it was just sitting there with me in this gondola I just liked it I was like "This is a good omen
0: Mm -hmm. isn't that funny how the world really does
1: conspire
0: to help you once you've set your mind yeah
1: and throughout that entire winter I feel like I had all this genuine like love and intent it just felt like everywhere I went uh, snow was cooperating and uh, these cliffs were cooperating and I just had like all these cool coincidences like the eagle had been happening a lot already that whole year and so that happening to me it just was another like affirmation that uh I had the right intent and I was really looking forward to getting up there. So we get off the the gondola and we're taking that one chairlift that you have to take to get up there and you stare at this cliff. And immediately first sight of it I was like oh it's happening. It mm-hmm. is happening. And most big cliffs I'll spend hours on the takeoff to make sure the takeoff is like super, super, super dialed and if possible, even kind of look off the edge and this cliff is a really technical ski into it. So to get off this cliff, I had to go above like a 20 foot cliff, ski around it, get underneath it and then that was my takeoff area and all of this isn't a really just technical once you drop in. Point and of no return from the very top wow so that was probably some of the most intense breaths i'd ever taken in my entire life was when i dropped in because i started traversing above the top of this 20 footer and i needed to make this really intense one left turn <laughs> uh and i was above a no fall zone like definitely you're gonna die if you fell
2: yeah on this that. turn
1: and so just the turns leading up to that, you know, were so intense. But I was like so clear-minded and just breathing through it all. But I'll just never remember those breaths because it was so much energy in them, you know. And uh, I made that turn, that one really intense turn, and started tracking towards my takeoff. And
0: there was all this new snow.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and it just it snowed was like just 40 like, inches. Yeah. Like so it was like...
0: Rocketing off this cliff.
1: Yeah. So I knew I was getting a lot of snow moving off this cliff. And then once I got into my, like leading up to my takeoff area, I knew I'd have to make about four or five turns to get off the cliff. And so by then I'm instantly calculating how many turns to sequence and when to point it, how much speed I need to get to that takeoff. I'm already glancing at the horizon. So I lock in to exactly where I need to steer my takeoff. And how
0: steep was it up there?
1: Uh, up high it was pretty steep, and right where my takeoff was, it mellowed out just a little bit, uh, but it was all downhill, yeah, it was definitely not a bench at all. it yeah. was all a hanging snowfield, you know, and I knew all this snow was uh sloughing off with me, yeah, so I already knew that i'd have more way more speed that I'd be out further than the than the slough, and I knew that the slough was hitting to the skier's left of where my landing was because I'd already like thought about all this stuff you know and it was just so weird to see it all playing out in a way that I'd already pre-lived it so many times but all of it was brand new at the same time obviously and having to execute it and uh you know saw my my horizon point and it's funny because on a cliff if you point your skis and you go off a cliff wrong by one foot after you've go 200 feet through the sky, that one foot becomes like 50 feet into the wrong area. Mm-hmm. So like having to have that ability to, to land where you need to is like, you know, obviously a game of millimeters. Well, especially when,
0: when <clears throat> like you said, you didn't get a chance to go stand on top no. and really calculate. Yeah.
1: And okay. So
0: you make your that left turn, yeah. breathing yeah. hard. Yeah. And then what?
1: And then I'm, then I'm tracking back across... You know only
0: could you see your takeoff? 30 from 40 feet it's...
1: In, yep right as soon as I, I mean I could I felt my takeoff ever <laughs> since true. I dropped in
0: gotcha. you know
1: because my drop in point it was a blind rollover. exactly so I had to drop in to even see uh-huh. what I was getting into uh-huh. and so I drop in and as soon as I'm making those really intense breaths above the 20 footer through my peripheral and I could already see my takeoff over there so I'm already like connected to it over there yeah. and I know it's there And I make that one left turn that was so intense to make an actual like jump turn in a Pow Field above, like, you know, a really technical death, like 200 footer, you know? And so I start tracking towards my takeoff and I make these few turns and I pop off the cliff. And the biggest cliff I jumped at that time was 175 feet. And I thought this cliff would be around 170 feet. And as soon as I got in the air, I saw, basically look like an avalanche from all the slough, because mm-hmm. I just basically skied a face I yeah, released an avalanche. all this new snow, so all the slough was an immense amount of snow, so it was like looking down at a waterfall of snow, down to a landing that was a little obscured a little bit by the smoke of the snow hitting, but I could still see the detail of the snow down there of where I was going, so I could size it up, you know, and <sighs> I was just like, "Holy shit! I am way higher than I've ever been before." Oh <laughs> my god!
0: And so, and you're long darting at this point. Oh yeah, point. at that
1: point, I'm full, just swan Superman. in the air. Yeah. <laughs> oh so I'm a god. swan in the air. There's an avalanche in the sky with me. I can see my landing in detail, way, way down there. I mean, far impossibly away. far away.
0: Can we put this in context, like? A 10 story building is how high? Like, and this is, let's just call it 250 because I think it was.
1: Uh,
0: how many stories is that?
1: I mean, how tall is this room? Like, maybe nine feet? So yeah. it's like, for sure, a 20 story building. 20 story building. <laughs> yeah. Okay, From, so. I pop off this 20 story building, and the ground is so imposs- impossibly far away. And you know, I have all those thoughts, as any human would, that go through me of like, this is total insanity. Like, this is absolutely crazy. Like, holy shit. Uh, you know, I have
0: Like, you have dozens. the choice to start freaking out. Like, do you remember that? Like, Well,
1: this is why this cliff also is very interesting to me, is that. Uh, Like any cliff I've ever hit over 100 feet, I've always had the ability to go to the takeoff and like make sense of it all. Right, this is the only time I wasn't able to do that off a big cliff, you know. (laughs) I've hit quite a few like 70, 80, 90 footers that you just hit, and it, it definitely all makes sense. But you know, 200 plus foot cliff presenting itself to you on that scale when you expected it to be like 160, 170, that extra 50 feet was almost overwhelming and I I had all actually set my front flip a little bit too fast Mm. because usually I'll go off and like lead with my hips so I can kind of decide when to. Mm. So this cliff I went off and I kind of set it a little too fast and so while all these thoughts are going through my mind of how far away the ground is, how insane the snow looks, focusing on what I'm doing, maintaining my calm senses and all that a huge alarm went off in me was like you're flipping too fast like you're flipping too fast and you're going to over rotate and you're going to kill yourself right now like major alarm went off and so I actually started hyperventilating in the air because I thought I was going to die because I set my front flip too fast and so instantly, I mean, that hyperventilation must have lasted like maybe half a second, but I probably breathed like 10 times because I was like, ah, ah, you know, wow. like, oh my god. But I was like, Julian, just calm down. And <laughs> yeah, I can't believe you have this much time yeah, to think about it. Just <laughs> slow your flip down, slow it down, and calm down. So, all of these conversations are going on, you know, dozens. Of thoughts, realizations, what I'm doing, this alarm, the hyperventilating, recalming myself. All of that happens in the first second, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the sky. And that's why, like, time is such a weird uh, theory. Idea. Yeah, because I lived a rich existence in one second, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had so many completely thought out thoughts that take moments seconds to actually uh, Distill and to think and I did completely it should take longer than one second or a split Mm -hmm. second But I did I I had this all these conversations going on at once and this alarm went off and then I calmed myself down and So what happened is I ended up instead of over rotating once my flip came around I rotated inward Mm. So if you actually watch that video, yeah the last 60, 70 feet I'm falling through the air, I maintain my body's completely flat, because that's how you have to land in that snow. You can't over-rotate. If you even land kinda feet first, you're fucked, yeah. Yeah. And so, if you watch that video, when I get flat, I start turning inward. And then I still hit perfectly, like, you know. And so I landed, didn't feel a thing. I was in the cloud of smoke. And I just started laughing. Yeah, of course. So of laughing. course you yeah. did. <laughs> and, and I still remember I had someone there to undig me in case I would have yeah. gotten plugged. And the radios were going off, but I was like so immersed in
2: Exhilation. jubilation,
1: you yeah. know. And, and, you know, at that point, uh, adrenaline of that experience, you know, and uh, and to live that much crazy spectrum of emotion, both, I mean, obviously the physical part of doing big cliffs is indescribable fun, but just that mental roller coaster of the good and the bad of that particular cliff was so intense. All I could do was laugh and, you know, the radio, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And um, my buddy that came down to undig me, he skied straight to me. And he just gets on the radio. And what they tell me, and I can hear afterwards on all their all the footage, is like, he's just down here laughing, man. He's just down here laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just laughed it off. My ski came off, you know. I How back deep on.
0: did you end up?
1: I probably just like a foot underneath the snow. But wow. I was able to just wiggle up and stand yeah. up. But I just, you know, Relaxed for a good minute and yeah. just laughed it off. And
0: then were you just high for like a year? Oh my gosh! I mean,
1: <laughs> that whole night was so much fun because it was our last night in town because we were leaving the next day, mm-hmm. and it was a really fun celebration that night. Uh, we all had a ton of fun that night. And at the, at that time, um, Spider, one of my sponsors, made like a full Yeti suit, and I brought one with me, so I wore the Yeti suit out that night. And uh, I was like, if anyone wants to wear the Eddie suit, you just gotta tackle me. So <laughs> it, that was the rule. i was like, you so I just get tackled all the time. I give away the suit for like 20 <laughs> minutes, someone else would wear it, and then I'd tackle them, put back on the Eddie suit. But it was so much fun. Um, but ever since then, you know, it's all about getting on the takeoff and figuring out what you're doing <laughs> and seeing it all and making sense of it all. So that cliff, I'm trying to go back to Engelberg next month, and I haven't been there in a long time, and uh, I just can't wait to see the cliff again, because I I know I'll never do that cliff again, and I'll never do another big cliff that I can't check out the landing and make sense of it all. So
0: that's what you learned.
1: So it's a really special cliff, and I'll be really curious if anyone else ever pursues that one, just because I know what it takes above it to get down to the takeoff, and it was just way too intense to ever want to do again.
0: Yeah, do you feel like you did comprehend your death in in those few seconds or did you just not let yourself go there
1: no in the hyperventilating I was on a path of death for right. a moment right and it was my really, body's did natural really reaction you
0: what what it was an mean. adrenaline
1: of you're gonna die right now R- surrender to it mm. and then something else in me was like no no dude relax and calm down, and you can still pull this off. And uh, I had to, like, oversteer the the
2: momentum. body's,
1: like, yeah. natural tendency to just surrender to the predicament of what I got myself into. You know? Wow.
0: Thank you so much. That was an experience. My <laughs> hands are sweating, and I'm like, blah, blah, blah. It's amazing. So, yeah, I guess I would say, like, how is it difficult to that's your identity right and I know with a lot of us in skiing it's like you've got to outdo yourself every year so how 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 do you come back the next year and either reinvent yourself or or is that not a thing for you
1: I think ever since I fell in love with cliffs it was like a natural curiosity and that like genuine attraction has never left And I continue to seek Big Cliffs for the right reasons. And I never set out to like, oh, I'm going to go do a world record cliff this year. Right, yeah. And that's never been a part of my attraction to Big Cliffs. Obviously, having like a baseball card stat and saying you have world records and stuff, it's pretty cool. And so to accumulate baseball card stats after the fact is obviously awesome and it's relatable and it's a way you can... Uh, quantify things and communicate with people and be a professional and all that stuff because it's exciting
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but luckily for me I always pursue putting myself in situations that cool things can happen
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so I love being in the mountains I love the high alpine I love cliffs and ever every single year since then I've Routinely put myself in positions that cool things can happen because I love it mm-hmm. But I also know if there was someone else out there That had this unique skill set. I would love it if they documented it and shared it and made a professional storytelling career out of it. So I try my hardest to be a professional storyteller and uh, Conduct myself in a manner that I can share it with as many people as possible because I also realize that just I'm kind of the only guy that does it. You know? <laughs> I know, yeah. obviously, two of my good buddies, Todd Laguerre and uh, Owen Leeper, both enjoy big cliffs too. Mm-hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, ever since Jamie Pierre, I'm like the one guy that just routinely is doing the most of them. And uh, I want to share it because I know if someone else is doing it, I'd want them to share it too.
0: Sure. Well, I, but you're in a different time period of your life and not that I'm putting that on you but like so are different things starting to be more important or how how things shifted since you know that 20 year old who was gonna make it as a pro skier
1: I think uh, I've always tried to just have a dynamic life I guess you could say and I just like that as my ski career has blossomed i've also nurtured like these other paths in my life that are also blossoming so it's been fun finding a balance so that i'm not living a one-dimensional life that skiing and cliffs define my life experience yeah
2: beautiful
1: and it's kind of fun to have crafted this life that I still value my own like sanity and my adventure barometer. (laughs) I still really value the act and the artistry of Big Cliffs and I love it. And I've crafted and uh, made a life for myself that that's still very much a part of like my winters. And uh, I just, I feel like, I don't know. It's, it it is weird though because I don't know how, through all these years, I don't know how I'm that guy. <laughs> you know, there's been so many times where we'll be out on a crazy mission on who knows where in the world, and I'll be up figuring out a takeoff for some cliff that I've been studying, and I can just feel the nervousness of the other athletes. I can mm-hmm. just feel the nervousness of the photographer and the filmers. And I can just feel this enormous unsurety in everybody. And that's also part of, like, going down this road of of cliffs is, like, finding this comfort level. And it's not like, you know, that 50 to the 80 footer was this kind of epiphany, but really it boiled down to, like, 0.2 seconds of composure.
2: District of different... Because
1: if you, takes you a second to do a 50 footer in the air, if you can just apply composure... For another point two seconds, you mm-hmm. go from fifty to eighty. <laughs>
0: that's an interesting so that's way to look is. at it. <laughs> but to apply all it, it is. obviously <laughs> is is hard.
1: But <sighs> when you can feel, and you're part of like this tight network of these professional projects that we go on all the time, where you're, you don't want to be a liability to your crew because you're out in the middle of the mountains, and if anything goes wrong, you put them in a very intense situation having to. Um, Caretake and to make really hard decisions because of your poor decision making. So, when I can feel all this nervousness from everyone, you know, I certainly have to filter all that. And it, it's, it's so weird to be around other professionals that are used to, you know, making decisions in the mountains, both, you know, athletically and safety wise and production wise. And to feel so much uncertainty and to still just focus on the path and do it successfully. Well, you're teaching it, to too. <clears throat> yeah. if
0: you remind me of um, one of the reasons I started the podcast, which is I was so impressed with the, this wisdom and calm that Dean Potter had. Mm. And I Badass. was <laughs> yeah, um, able to shoot him uh, on, on Half Dome. And awesome. it was with four other guys that he was he was mentoring, and they were all going to jump off together for this National Geographic project. Yeah, and it was that same thing. These boys, they were boys, right? And he was this wise, wise, calm soul, and you could tell he was helping them manage with his energy alone, and it was beautiful to watch. And, and that's, that's where cool. I saw a real, incre- a master of. Of i don't have words for it other than that calm that you have too of that's cool presence well, um, I can
1: say i've gone out to hit big cliffs uh with like um JT Holmes, right. He, so that's my next question yeah. It's like
0: talk about base jumping because I, oh, didn't, yeah. I well, didn't realize it's that funny because him and I
1: uh, he went to the University of Utah for a little while okay. and he was in a public speaking class with me <laughs> and we became buddies and started skateboarding like around campus and going skiing and he the biggest cliff he'd ever jumped was like a seventy footer and he'd done a backflip off like a thirty footer so I take him up to that Wolverine Cliff one morning, because the day before, we like uh, tandem straight-lined Tuscarora. And so I was gonna go up, the snow was perfect. I'd already uh, straight aired the Wolverine cliff earlier that year. I knew the conditions were gonna be really good. So we brought the filmer up there, and JT was just gonna come to do whatever he was gonna do. And he didn't really have any plans on hitting that cliff. So we get up there, same thing. I could just feel he didn't like it. And he'll even tell you, he'll just be like, no, I wanted nothing to do with that thing. And I just proceeded with my protocol, breathed through it, meditation, uh, accomplished it. No ski came off, just skied away really fast. And JT was like, man, you made it look so easy. And just the way you did it and just hung out up there and pulled it off. So he ended up doing it. And then I did that once. Did with, he
0: do the same thing? The front he flip did stuff? a
1: backflip. Okay. And the photo of it is so amazing. Wow. It's like one of the coolest photos. Isn't that ever.
0: amazing how that's, that's a beautiful way to encourage each other. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And same thing happened with, uh, with Billy Poole. Uh, he also wanted nothing to do with it. And then he was able to do it. So for me, it's really fun to be around such amazing people that to me, it's like a, like I said, a basic equation. And if I can show it, then people can see the basic equation too exactly. sometimes.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Would you talk a little bit about, about some, some tough ones that you had, you struggled with walking away and maybe always wondered?
1: Oh man, there's this really cool cliff in Gargoyle. It's an area just outside of Dry Fork that's a short walk out of a side country gate at Alta. So on a classic Alta shooting day, we'll go up early ups, go start in Gargoyle and then get into Dry Fork, Rocky Point, Wolverine, Grizzly. It's like a sun, sunrise to sunset full day of all these cool zones and you always start in Gargoyle. Gargoyle, there's this really cool peak you can hike to and you can ski an entire line down to this really cool chute. And I've done that like two or three times up to that point. What makes this chute is this big like 90 foot cliff that faces out that you ski you know, through it essentially. So I'd always wanted, i always fantasized, and I always looked at skiing the entire line and then ending in the 90-footer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so this one morning, I brought the whole camera crew out there, filmer, photographer, crew. We go out there, I probe. It is perfect. And I hike up to the peak, you know, full mission, like big effort for everybody. And I ski down. Breath's good, everything's good. I pop up onto the deck to hit the cliff and just something in me, I hit the brakes and I stop. I'm like, well, shit, at least, I mean, the, the whole film line, the idea of doing the top to bottom is done, but I'm like, but at least we can still get like a cool photo out of it. And I'm like, just, I get on the radio, I'm like, sorry guys, like, I just need to figure this out up here for a second. My heart rate's going, you know, it just, I'm not settled. And I'm like, sorry guys, I need a few more minutes. So i like, take your time. And I'm just up there trying to meditate, breathe through it. I couldn't get calm. Even though I studied, I was right on the takeoff. It was good. The landing was so good. It, everything was so good. And just something, I couldn't calm myself down. So after like a half hour of being up there and trying to calm myself down, I just couldn't. Um, I just got on the radio. And I was like, guys, like I'm really sorry. Uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm. I'm at, I just... Some i don't feel good i just don't feel good about it I, i'm i gonna just ski through the chute and we should get out of here head to the next zone and by then it's like noon mm-hmm. you know and everyone on the radio is super cool and professional and was like sounds good we'll see you up on the ridge so we all hiked up to the ridge and everyone just gave me a hug and they're like man it's so cool to see you make a decision like that and i obviously felt kind of bad because it was a really good day to shoot and everyone had spent all morning hiking and being up there to get that line and didn't work out but obviously for everybody on every project just everyone being safe is what's most important so it was rad to did like you ever figure feel that. out like what no
0: and and you just didn't question it you didn't beat yeah, yourself just, up for it you just that was you just the listen. promise
1: I made to myself just mm-hmm. walk away if not everything feels good beautiful yeah thanks yeah.
0: what do you see coming up in this next generation and how is skiing shifting as as they come in.
1: Um, Yeah. I think, you know, I see plenty of good things, but there's also just a lot of people I see that are so concerned about how things are perceived by their friends or the peers or the industry that, that my term for it is they're paralyzed by style. So they're so concerned about how things are going to be perceived or what it looks like that they... They literally are paralyzed by it. They can't be themselves. Um, and that's too bad.
0: Or nothing is good enough to put out there and so they've yeah. crushed themselves before you I mean, win. Yeah.
1: I obviously immensely respect and appreciate anyone that has phenomenal talent, whatever it may be, because I'm not gonna ever criticize someone's way that they love to interact with the mountain. Uh, uh, for whatever reason the whole industry has been steered towards style over balls and Mm -hmm. I've always loved guys like Mike Wilson or whoever that maybe their vision exceeds their pre-planning a little bit you know and I always say I like balls over style and it's like (laughs) if I have to see another styly three please just something else you know like obviously I'm not going to criticize any particular person for the way they want to interact with the mountain, but, um, yeah, I just, I feel like the, there was an era that things were a little bit more raw. Yeah. I would agree with that. There's so much expectations on, uh, how things should be that that's all you see now. Mm. And man, I I miss the, the Chris Collins era and the, that time when there's a little bit more, um, options (laughs) options <laughs> on what you're seeing in media you know
0: yeah are you seeing anybody follow in your footsteps not, I mean I feel like not really and I think wonder wonder I wonder if part of that is because we lost a lot of those heroes kind of all at once that were really pushing the envelope as far as balls
1: go I mean I'll always love Ian McIntosh that dude you know You'll never see him do a 360. <laughs> uh, he, he lays down the sickest lines you've ever seen, you know?
0: As far as balls go, yeah, for sure.
1: And so, you, Mac, is a shining example. But then, obviously, I'm a huge fan of Candy Thovex and Sage and and people like that. Uh, but there's not many Ian's out there compared mm. to hundreds of Sage alikes, you know? Mm. Um, and, like I said, I'm not criticizing, I would never criticize anyone's way they want to connect to the mountain i just would like to see more guys like ian i'd like to see more guys like Owen leaper you know um more guys like todd laguerre but uh i think another reason is because there's so much more accessibility to maybe the park scene or uh, a limited uh, mountain scope because mm-hmm. obviously to have the opportunities to shine like Owen and, and, and Ian and stuff you need to have resources and access
2: and big, to big yeah. mountains
1: and, and obviously decades of perfecting Hardware. their craft yeah. you know yeah, and, which uh, is
0: so cool about big mountain skiers can truly shine later in life because it takes that much experience before. for sure
1: and I love like cliffs and stuff enough that you know my resolve and uh, fascination and love for cliffs I, it, i'm not affected by uh I, obviously i love appreciation and it's really fun to travel around as a skier and to you know sometimes be known for it because you just your friend network gets bigger uh and that's a cool feeling because obviously you live in anonymity uh and anonymity in all other aspects of your life um And then obviously when you have some people are like, oh, you got to stomp your landing. You didn't have any intention of stomping your landing. It's like, dude, bro, just when I'm setting up for one of these cliffs, I dare you just (laughs) to even get near the takeoff. And it all formed that kind of a thought and stared at me. Yeah, it's easy
0: to talk Don't (laughs) Just
1: don't, you know. But I also get it, you know, because there is that mentality of uh you know success or skiing away or you know obviously if Travis Pastrana did a double backflip to a foam pit it's not quite as cool as stomping and skiing away so I get it you know like I wish I could just stomp a 200 footer you know but you can't and I love it enough that those kind of comments they slide off of me but obviously I hear them but I just welcome anyone that has those kind of things to say is why don't you look at and appreciate someone's uh, way of because th- it's that's the ultimate way for me to connect with the mountains. I love it. That's that's my ultimate connection. I love that. You know? That's
0: what the, the way you put it too. It, it is. It's your own connection with the mountain, and that's never yeah. going to be the same. So how as can someone you criticize
1: someone's yeah. way they connect to the mountains? Yeah. That's my way. So beautiful. Um, so
0: what advice would you give to up and comers who are looking for or or? Maybe afraid that everything's been done, or um, looking for their own way to connect and make make a statement in the industry.
1: I think you need to really just uh, love it enough that you're gonna get to the other side of that gauntlet of companies saying no if you're trying to get a sponsor, or just not responding at all, or not responding <laughs> at all, or getting lots of responses than it never panning out after a year maybe of talking to a company mm. um but more or all just believing in yourself because and that that goes with like starting a business trying to be a professional skier or whatever like i would have never had a company i've never been a professional skier because i heard so many no's so many no's but i was like you don't know like i mm-hmm. feel like i can contribute And if you're saying no, like you're making a mistake. What were they about? Those no's. Just uh, passing on um, maybe a ski sponsorship or a bank saying you're not fulfilling the criteria or um, a, a shop passing on putting an order with you because obviously they didn't feel like a product line had what they were looking for or you know, all kinds of no's come at you when you're first trying to put those kind of ideas together. Yeah, And I would always just saw it as, like, free market research because <laughs> <laughs> then you just tweak what you're up to and keep going. Because uh, if you feel like you have something to contribute, no's are huge lessons you can learn from. Data and points. if you uh, let yourself get defined by them, then you didn't have the resolve or the belief in yourself to contribute regardless. So I love
2: that.
0: The only thing I'd add to it is... um just to make sure that whatever you're doing is an, is enough of a payoff in itself. So for me it's always been easy to keep going because the skiing is the payoff. You know, if I'm still skiing then I'm still I'm still living the dream. You know, it it's I don't find the success in a new sponsor or, you know, having the sponsor or not, because the skiing is what I'm here for. And if I'm still fortunate enough to be skiing then I'm still winning.
2: For sure. Um,
0: and, um, I think I always just assumed everyone thought like that, but, um, but yeah, when you, if, if you're not enjoying the skiing part, that's when I think it's worth, you know, taking a look at what you're putting your time into and why.
1: Totally. I think that's same as you. I just feel really fortunate that I'm healthy, I'm happy, and I still love skiing. Yeah. And I think is if any of those three are out of balance a ski career is very hard uh to pursue if you don't have those three things happening
0: yeah I also loved it you said you know you weren't going for a record you weren't going I was never going out there to try and get paid to ski that wasn't the goal It was just well I want to do this and then I want to try this and then I want to land something like that and it it progressed that
1: way for sure I want to apply myself because I love it I want to storytell because I want to be a professional and make a career out of it, but ultimately I just love it. But if you want to make a career out of it, you need to realize that you need to story tell for the brands you represent, and you need to understand the traditional mediums of trying to get fit in to print uh, magazines, movies, TV, but then you need to be a producer. You need to produce and sell, reinvent yourself each year. and literally create your own platforms and then you need to be really fluent at social media and all those things and create the right collaboration. So you can be the best skier, but if you can't, uh, you know, be efficient and actually, um, be a good producer and get fit in, if you can't do the business part, you know, it's, it's really tough because I've seen plenty of really good skiers come along and they had no interest at all in the process it takes to go out and film for a day because it's a whole different gear you have to be in. And luckily I found I enjoy it. You just, it's a slower paced day. You're hanging out with really cool people because for the most part, every single professional skier I know or snowboarder are exceptional humans. So you get to hang out in the mountains with really exceptional people. And yeah, like the action is a little slower, but I like photography. I like the art of it. I Mm -hmm. like to think of what the light looks like (laughs) <laughs> for the photographer, I like to create the imagery. Like, I enjoy it. I think it's a really cool artistic process. And and I respect some skiers can't stand it. They All they want to do is rip every day all day. Yeah, and they, really can't, appreciate saying they that. can't gear down. Yeah, it's... Um, so I just tell them, I'm like, look, you know, you hopefully you're going to be another Candide so that things will get shaped around you. But if you... If you really want to have a shelf life as a professional skier, you need to learn how to produce and you need to learn how to gear down and be productive and create the art and enjoy the process.
0: And have immense patience <laughs> because of patience. Uh, the setting up of all of this and searching for the good snow. I mean, we've been here for five days and uh, we've done a lot of driving around looking for decent conditions. And then when we do find them, it's it's uh it's a lot of work to get a few shots and just um I think a lot of people get get really um bitter about that quickly, and I think what keeps you having longevity is being someone that is worth hanging out and literally hanging out and keeping a good attitude. I know it's certainly for me that i uh it can be the difference between being invited on another trip, regardless of how talented you are, whether you're on the film or photo site or as an athlete, if you have a bad attitude, you're probably not going to make it too long.
1: You're going to stop getting the invites. If you're not fun to travel with, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I agree. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting career. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm super grateful. And the fact that, we've been around as long as we have uh super rare and uh every year
0: I'm like I get to do it again I know it's it's (laughs) it's
1: obviously uh not by accident you know and for me the and the idea that people have that it's hard for them to like quote-unquote self-promote like I never feel like I'm self-promoting ever. I feel like I'm storytelling for the brands I represent because just like any adventure that's out there, they're storytelling through adventure and that's the way I feel like what I'm doing. So it's never about, Hey, I'm super rad. Look at me. It's I'm in the mountains on a really fun adventure. And just like you'd want to write a cool book about adventuring, we're literally living it. So I want to storytell through whatever mediums are at our disposal as best as I can. Um, myself and my own well-being but obviously if you're a professional you need to actually be good I appreciate
0: that because I actually I really do struggle with social media um and I like that perspective on it it takes because it it does I to me it does feel weird posting every day about yourself and when you don't post about yourself it doesn't do well (laughs) you know um and then and then for women you know we all know that um Pushing the beauty aspect or a sexy photo like that does really well, and in this day and age, that um, those numbers you know can dictate for sponsors who they're supporting. Um, So I like that perspective, um, that your storytelling adventure that could help other people get out there.
1: Just focus on that. Be aware of
0: yeah that other stuff, but
1: just focus on your own storytelling and yeah, beautiful. Yeah,
0: cool. What else we got? Um, yeah. I think
1: we nailed it. All right. I think that's it. I'm just going to keep finding powder. And <laughs> hopefully the rest of our Japan trip, we're going to ski more of it. Mm.
0: Yeah. Storm's yeah. coming in, so. Yeah. Should be good. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. This has been such a treat.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate it. Okay.
0: Thanks so much for listening, friends. If you enjoyed the conversation, give us a review on iTunes and spread the word. Plus, be sure to subscribe. Our theme is Wings by Nicoletta Halaitis, used under the Creative Commons license. Until next time, see you in the mountains, friends.